Welcome to Evolving Door, the podcast where I interview guests about the moments in their lives that have really moved them forwards, where they had a significant shift in their thinking, their awareness, and their understanding about life in all its various aspects. Join me and expect to be enlivened, enriched, and inspired on your personal journey of evolution. Welcome back to Evolving Door. This is episode two, part two, with Jolyon Rubenstein. Let's dive straight back in and see how Cheney got away. Cheney saw me coming and there was a veteran in a wheelchair and he went straight to the veteran in wheelchair and I could feel his energy feeling mine. And there were secret service people there and I'll talk about my experiences with those people later. Um, but he knew, he knew that if I did a stunt on him there, the sympathy from the audience would go to him and the veteran whose interaction I had messed up. And the thing is that real clever populist politicians understand, like Boris Johnson is many things, Donald Trump is many things, Nigel Farage is many things, but they are absolute artists. Very clever, yeah. You know, the power of image. Is Dick Cheney uh, the vice president? Is, is, is he the one that the film Vice was about? Is that yes. Dick Cheney? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is. Cohen managed to always does better work than us. Baron Cohen managed to um, to get him in in uh, pretty good in uh, Who Is America? Oh, but yeah. it was interesting watching that show because some people ask me, you know, why don't you do this now and stuff like that? And apart from the fact that I'm almost forty years old, um, I think that time has gone. Well, he's also he's also announced, I believe, that he's not doing a second episode, um, series of that. Well, so he I said think- that, and yesterday I saw a video of him uh, literally singing, um, what do we do with the who that <laughs> infect them with the Chinese flu? You know, and he's got loads of people singing, and he's. I'm sure there'll be another. You don't get an Emmy nomination, and then, you know, a network says, let's not do this again. Um but the thing is that it, apart from it being extraordinarily different, I, I genuinely believe things have changed. When Trump got elected, when the Brexit referendum went, what happened, there was a visceral difference to how our interactions were taking place on the street. Politics went from, as Charlie Brooker put it well, he went meh into being very scary. And for me, you know, what's happened since then, particularly in the grips of the pandemic, is I've had a bit of a new sort of awakening again, which is actually the best purpose I can serve. You know, mm. doing this podcast and talking on, as I do on my Instagram and things I do this thing this Sunday, but you can see this is like a set behind me, Sunday Papers Live, um, is, is, to, is, to, is to talk to people and to talk to people very directly about what I think and what I feel rather than hide it within a grotesque 2D clown of a character. And I think that that is... That along with, you know, what I decided to focus on, like if you are a fan of the work and, and, you've, and you've seen that stuff, I am, I'm doing scripted drama now. That's what was scripted. There's one comedy that I'm working on, which is very silly, but really I think that there's some really fascinating stuff going on around exactly what I was trying to talk to you about at the beginning, you know, Russia, um, the realities of how huge data sets that you know people wonder why dominic cummings wasn't let go and it's it's frankly because his company that he's aligned with faculty who actually initially took on this app the app 
uh, the track and trace app. Oh um, yeah, it was one of his family members as well. Was part of it, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, they gleaned. Well, it was. I'm not quite sure if it was a biological member of his family, but certainly one mm. of his close associates from the Vote Leave campaign. Um, they have a huge data set now on people, and and we're we're entering a new age where where the the internet is being used to psychographically target people. So if you're not aware of what psychographics are, demographics, you know, are the skew of uh, people. Uh, 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 a, a geographics, obviously, is, is we all know what geography is, the skew of the land. Psychographics is the geography of your mind. And they use something called the ocean analysis tool, which is a bit like a heightened Myers-Briggs test. Yeah. And it basically looks at your openness, your conscientiousness, your agreeableness, uh, and your neuroticism. And it's it really sort of tries to target content particularly to your mindset. And maybe you know, maybe you loved, maybe you hated Nigel Farage's breaking point poster, but at least we all saw it. Whereas if you, my friend, are looking at one piece of video content and I'm looking at another, then there's a really big danger that we're going to have a very different perception. We think we're all looking at the web and it's the same web, but it's totally tailored, right? I think particularly now that really, um, you know, my, my father in his 60s, you know, is is his late 60s, really, is, is his his age group are the biggest users of Facebook in the world. Um, you know, that people aren't don't know what they don't know. And this yeah. stuff is is very compelling, very powerful, very well made. Um you know, back to that point you said earlier, uh, sorry to, to jump in, but back to the point you made earlier about when we used to have the newspapers, we would just read them. And so a lot of, especially older people are looking at Facebook and the stuff in the same way, aren't they? They're just thinking this is just the news. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of, you know, I'm certainly not well, beating on baby boomers. Like in terms of, look, it's, it's very clever. A lot of money, billions of dollars and rubles and pounds have been mm. utilized to weaponize doubt. Mm. You know, this age of doubt. It is the age where you know you can doubt science you can doubt vaccinations you can everything doubt yeah it's so confusing yeah. isn't it though it, with the whole fake news idea i mean that's one thing that seemed to be coined by trump and it's a sort of a it's a very disruptive and very but it's such a genius thing if you like from a disruptive person's kind of approach yeah. what, a, what he's almost now cast out on anything practically well it's very strange because i think what is what is actually rather edifying is the fact that there is an issue when the chickens come home to roost and the, the the terrifying and incredibly worrying truth is right now that coronavirus is doing exactly that in the united states and it, it's it's you know i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy what is taking place in some of those states you have the mass um gathering of people with no face masks with no protective equipment who are um they don't even believe it's real, right? Pretty much. There is, there is a total dispelling of that. And and as you saw after his abortive rally, um, I mean, which was literally the most offensive thing to me that I've seen him do because it was in Tulsa. And Tulsa is the site of, you know, the hellfire that was rained down on Black Wall Street. If you don't know about this, it's something that's so in incredibly important to understand because there was a pocket of affluent um, uh, entrepreneurial black America that was crushed by the Ku Klux Klan, by the local government. They were bombed from the sky. You know, that doesn't happen without huge coordination. And um, that's where he decided to hold his rally. And that is, that is a deliberate, purposeful signal 
just like this is if you're not aware you see him doing this all the time this is this is a kkk symbol and if you look at any number of of trump videos and if you look at any of the pictures of the militarized police who are often very proudly taking pictures around black lives matter more often than not you'll see that or this so it's a, just for people who are listening it's what your your first it's finger and your it. thumb together right it's this and then it's it's this it's basically under his eye i mean it's like it's kind of as simple as one of those kind of cold words i would really strongly recommend hbo have just put their series watchmen um on uh on hbo.com um it's if you haven't got sky it's incredibly important at the minute that people use the the amazing parts of popular culture that have informed people to understand some of this stuff because if you don't get it you you if you're not seeing what is actually straight in front of your eyes a really good example of that something that i blew my mind a couple of days ago or not a couple of days ago but it was literally maybe in the last three weeks was the commonwealth so the commonwealth i understood as the commonwealth games the commonwealth of countries blah blah blah, blah. what the commonwealth actually is a term for is what the British government found a name for the in in today's money 71 billion pounds worth of resources which we ransacked from Africa and the West Indies and they called it the common wealth irony yeah. like it's been right there the whole time and there's so many things like that, that that I think this is part of the learning that's taking place. Um, I suppose in a way that brings me on a little bit to talk about, you know, Black Lives Matter and the importance I think that has. You've been focusing, you've been focusing on that a lot, right, during the lockdown, um, particularly. Yeah. Tell me yeah. a bit about. Um, I'll tell you very briefly a little bit my experience, just in a couple of sentences, and then cool. it yeah. might. Um, so when I. You know, it really hit off. I mean, Black Lives Matter obviously is not a new thing. We, we a couple of years ago, you know, we're aware of it. And then everybody saw the video of George Floyd. And I think um, it's been an interesting time. Uh, and it's been great. I've been following you very carefully, kind of talking about it and stuff. But I think for a lot of people, um, they've been trying to get their head around it and, you know, mm. um, maybe taking some time to kind of, I know I, I didn't want to, I, I posted the black square and then I know that, you know, people were saying, well, don't use it with the hashtag because it'll overtake the thing. But then it was kind of like, I didn't want to say something else immediately until I'd really formulated my feelings about it because I, I didn't want to just do it for the sake of just, I oh, you know, uh, but, but, but talk me through some of the evolution of your experience. But let's talk about what you just said because actually in in what you said is some super key things that mm. need to be dealt with so look you're a well-meaning guy you know you seem like a stand-up uh you know guy but you're a white guy right yeah. so yeah. do you feel like oh if i'm if i'm posting this is something is in some way patronizing is there sort of narcissism i'm playing into here is there sort of is there something egoic that's going on that makes me feel like will i offend people will i do stuff and actually, I thought Meghan Markle put it very well, where she said, I thought about it for a long time, and I realized that saying something was better than saying nothing. Yeah. Now, you know, I have been deeply disturbed by the amount of people with huge platforms who sit on the sidelines. Now, this is one of those times in history where something has shifted, 
Because what we all witnessed was an eight-minute snuff film. It was a lynching. It was the death of a man in front of our very eyes. And as you quite rightly say, this has been going on for years. Now, when we say this has been going on for years, I want to further qualify that statement. But before I do, I want to talk about your response. Your response was a response of many, many people who I speak to very regularly. Now, the thing is about social media is it has completely fucked our minds about the idea that somehow by it digitally actually stating your abhorrence at something or your upset at an issue that has been um, you know profoundly devastating that you are somehow virtue signaling now virtue signaling was a term that was created by Richard Pearl and the and the alt right in America as a deliberate tactic to disembowel empathy with migrant groups particularly at the time Mexican um you know people who ice were picking up um uh, undocumented people in the united states mm. it has been terrifyingly effective now so first of all i, I, I want to say because it almost shames people back into silence right exactly. and the first thing i want to say is like, I, t I totally understand where that comes from i totally understand people you know i get it i'm, I'm certainly no different from you i understand where that comes from um the second thing is about experience. So I grew up in inner city London. I grew up in Archway. I had black friends from when I was a child. I had Arab friends, Muslim friends, white friends, but predominantly white. And when I went to a private school, it was almost exclusively white. And, uh, but they were part of my life. I never had that issue of not understanding that. You know, children, I believe that. Children don't see race. I don't, I don't think they in, involved with that. They see a person. Mm. Um, I found it extremely confronting to see the level of violence that was being exerted on essentially peaceful protesters initially. I was watching videos online of, you know, for me, the one that really, one that I'll never ever forget really is these NYPD cars being surrounded by protests and then slamming on the accelerator. I saw that, yeah, yeah. Right. Now I lived in New York, I've seen protesters getting I went to anti-Iraq war protests where I saw women, same age as my mother, being dragged by the hair through the street. American police are, are vicious. But also Chomsky had talked a lot to me about the idea of the means of violence. Now what was also happening for me, and I've really unpicked this, is I was experiencing, I was having unbelievable dreams, partly because of lockdown, partly because of bizarre things. And I realized that what was happening was a lot of repressed memories were coming through. So I'd filmed with the KKK, I'd filmed with the border Arizona, Arizona border defenders, I'd filmed in Tent City Prison, which is a, a maximum security prison where Joe Alpeo, who used to be, who Trump actually exonerated, was basically dealing with a concentration camp. And it was it's, it's very hard to describe as a human being what it's like when you go into a scenario with a, a, a fake identity, a kind of fawning identity because you're drawing these people towards you. Well, you're, you're almost using their views to make them comfortable and get them to say more about their views, right? Exactly. But that doesn't also detract from the human experience of actually witnessing what is going on. So I, this was the first prison to have women on chain gangs. They were they were hired out so they could bury the dead. There were, there were women in there for, for smoking a joint or for prostitution or whatever. And I was encountered in that prison by many people who handed me notes saying i'm not supposed to be in here and i didn't do anything about it i was filming i was seriously involved um with what i was doing 
And they were traumatic experiences. And also, you know, being honest, when you make a television show like The Revolution We Televised, everyone just looks at the comedy. You don't, you don't really look about what you've experienced. And I realized there was some stuff that I felt needed to be said. And I also felt like I was in a position and I have a platform, not a big platform, not by any means, not in today's digital terms. But, but nonetheless, enough, a platform for sure, yeah. Enough of a platform to advocate entirely for the Black Lives Matter protest. Mm. Not just because Britain is institutionally racist, but because of the realities of the entire body of work that I've done is about follow the money. Now, the, you, you have to understand here that slavery in Britain and then exported out was, it was about cheap labor. It was about economic. It was economic, yeah. It was about the idea that, you know, slavery in the United States, if, if it was in the North, the East Coast, it was about, um, it was about uh, textiles. And if it was in the South, it was about cotton picking, picking, particularly in agriculture. Now, you have to understand this to understand when we talk about systemic change and abolitionism. Because right now, the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK is profoundly embryonic. There are many different groups who believe various different things. Some of them are hardcore abolitionists. And I describe that a bit like Extinction Rebellion is an abolitionist movement, whereas some of them are pragmatists. pragmatists. So back to the environmental, that's more like Greenpeace. And even though Greenpeace do very, uh, you know, big stunt actions, Greenpeace work with governments directly. It's linked, it's linked to practical steps and change and policy and all of that. Yeah. MPs working with the system that is. Mm. Now, there is a profound shift in, in consciousness taking place as the result of George Floyd. Now, if you're familiar with the term of the Overton window, that is the that is the window under in which public discourse is uh, uh, mooted and people speak. So as an example, when Donald Trump in his election campaign in 2016 talked about uh, the Muslim ban, that shifted everything. I'm just seeing it's backwards here. That shifted everything to the right. And, and the reason that was because, because the presidents say it, or because the presidential nominees say, we can report it as news, we can talk about it, and people can probably say it. Another very clear example of this is when Boris Johnson referred to Muslim women as hijabs as being letterboxy. And yeah. numerous charities and NGOs documented that after that statement, there was an 80% rise in hate crime, which they directly attributed to that statement. What Black Lives Matter has done, de facto, is it has pulled everything the other way. And there are now actual debates going on about whether or not people should defund the police. Now, you like that or hate that, agree mm. with it or not agree with it, it is now in it's the It's an incredible position to be in, yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that I agree completely. One thing that when <laughs> uh, Black Lives Matter was out, say, three or four years ago, I remember myself thinking at the time, um, and I, I, as you say, I'm very, very um, generally very supportive of, of, of anybody who's being oppressed uh, or put in a difficult situation. Um, but I remember thinking, yeah, but all lives matter at that time. This mm -hmm. time round, I totally got the difference. I totally got it because, and I had many, many conversations with many, many people kind of uh, about it where 
at this moment right now it is it is an incredible moment and right now it's important that we focus on black lives matter well i think, I think there are a couple of things there my friend i think there are a couple of things there so so what we're talking about you see is action and reaction black lives matter say black lives matter so the mm. reaction to that is all lives matter from the mm. other side yes binary confrontational mm. our, our, our basic normality of you know twitter fueled misogynistic you know, hate hate speech fueled mm. platform against mm. how what the algorithms want. Outrage, outrage, outrage. The truth is that what we're looking at here is the beginning of a giant awakening that is partly driven by what happened with George Floyd. It's it's massively driven by the pandemic. It's massively driven by the consciousness that was already in people's minds about the decay of the planet, climate collapse, and hugely as well, I believe, for a lot of white people, particularly Extinction Rebellion, which, which hit something, which spoke directly to some sort of need. Mm. The, the important thing to understand is that all of these things are part of a larger movement up of these social issues that are also um, in response to a fascistic, um, openly racist, um, white supremacist in the White House. The, these these things are all interrelated. So what then happened was the British government took a rather clever approach, which was to say, we're going to invert this narrative. And what we're going to make it about is our surprise and our dismay and our pain that a murder that took place thousands of miles away can be reflected back at little old us well-meaning yeah. one two world wars and one world cup the champions who beat fascism us and what that did was it enabled a what people what people call dog whistle politics which is when you whistle out to, to those groups people are like yeah don't take that away from us if we give them this what are they going to take next Yes. The issue of Winston Churchill and the idea that this is a new issue is, uh, is, is, is totally ridiculous. People have recognized for an awfully long time that there are huge issues with the character of Winston Churchill. But Winston Churchill wasn't something we were discussing in January. It's something we're discussing now because the entire edifice and narrative of an economic system that perpetuates indentured servitude either economically or through the means of violence on populations and groups of people who are the most vulnerable in society who in previous generations went through legal servitude, slavery, and now other economic forms of oppression. Are all, all of this is at stake. And the best fighting tool you have is to bring back up the national hero, is to bring back up the totemic force of an uneducated population's sense of who Britain is, who we are. And that's why they're doing it. And it's also, just to say, just to finish up on this point, proof that this change is real and it's being taken incredibly seriously in the, at the highest echelons of the establishment. And I don't mean some shadowy group of people here. I mean, lots of people with lots of individual skin in the game. 
who mm. can call each other up and go, hey, should we put this headline? Yeah, let's do that. Are we going to? Yeah, because that's what it is. It's mm. what's happening in phone calls. It's very interesting that uh, it kind of brings us back to where we started earlier on about how uh, history is being told in a certain way. And one thing that's very exciting about the, the moment we're in right now is, is that um, hopefully at least large portions of people are, are willing to relook at history and to think about what really happened. Or let's be more honest. Let's try to be more honest about, yes, this may have happened and that might have been good for us and whatever else. But in the process of doing that, how did... Well, you I know, think we, it's really important to say this. We were... The entire British empire exists as a result of the rape pillage and pilfer of literally hundreds of countries when you are a small country with the strongest naval presence in the world you mm. conquer markets by capital or by force if they resist you use force and that is exactly what we did all over the world with hong kong it was about opium with a lot of North Africa, it was about mineral resources. Mm. You know, with India, it was about rice and it was about silk, right? Like these, this is historical fact. This isn't an opinion. This is how we came to be the richest nation on earth. And you can and understand why people won't want to be having that conversation now, because if you take that, let's just say trump card out of the game in terms of how they can play the, the economic game then it's no longer or it's harder now to to amass huge amounts of wealth because yeah. the people who are going to be subjugated to to kind of have that extra advantage that little kind of trump card will be taken away it's going to be pretty crap right for them friend it's interesting because i feel like we're going through two things at once i saw a very interesting uh, report yesterday that said only 60 sorry six six percent of people polled by the BBC talked about wanting society to return to anything like it had been before after the pandemic. There has been a period of essential physical repression that has taken place, which has literally never happened in either your or my life. It's, it's mind-blowing, the whole, the year has been mind-blowing, yeah. It's changed things. It's changed the nature of money because we suddenly realised that when we want to release huge amounts of money, we can, in unprecedented ways. And that's because the Bank of England, which is a private organization, which is not part of the state, can issue a bond. Sorry, the government can issue a bond to the Bank of England saying we an IOU, and they can give us a hundred trillion pounds. Because that is the nature of money. It is made up. It is a it is, I mean, that's what makes debt and interest so so odious. There's that issue. There is the issue of a feeling, an underlying feeling that people have had for generations that things aren't right. But there is the other reality, which is that for a pocket of society, and I believe it is a pocket. I don't believe it's nationwide. I think the right is losing all kinds of support in many ways. Maybe not in the short term, but certainly in the long term. I mean, I want to talk about this Generation Z and the people I've met doing this thing because... They give no fucks. It is not the same. They see the world very differently. They know they have to clean up our mess. That is something very profound. I certainly didn't think I even had a mess to clean up when I was a teenager. They do in a profound way. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the, but the truth is that I thought it was incredibly important as a white, privileged man, heterosexual man, 
to stand up and say, firstly, I understand I will never understand. I understand I will never understand. It's not about reading books. I'm never going to understand microaggressions. I'm never going to live within a black body, look out from it, have the experience of walking into my office and a woman hurrying before me and closing the door just to, just to make sure that I'm not realizing that I work, I work in the same building. You know, I'm never going to experience that. However, we created this problem and we need to fix it because it's a bit like, you know, black people feeling they need to explain themselves. I've had some really confronting experiences in the last three weeks. I was at a place in Clapton and a woman came up to me, a black woman came up to me crying, telling me, thanking me in sort of bizarre terms. That, well, not bizarre, I love you, Carol, but very profound terms saying that she'd gone to a university, predominantly her WhatsApp group of friends from uni were white, and she thought she could only make people understand the importance of Black Lives Matter if, she heard a white, if they heard a white person speak to them. I mean, that is that is that is messed up in all kinds of ways mm. yeah exactly it, it's so ironic yeah yeah i mean it's interesting i i was speaking to a young person um about it um, and i was having lots of individual conversations with people about it and he said to me yeah it seems like there's more stuff about america so i was wondering what i could do i reached out to um a filmmaker friend who who's a black guy and he put me in touch with someone else and i did a a kind of a podcast interview with him yeah. about the UK, about the UK to try and better understand a little bit from the UK context. A couple of things to your viewers so you can so they can understand. So the first thing I do is 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 recommend specific things. So one mm. of the things I recommend is this book. This is a Carla's book, Natives. It's He's amazing. Kingsley is a profoundly intelligent man. Mm. You know, we can we can talk both. Our mutual adoration is unbound. I'm sure. So. I was very embarrassed to learn that uh, this was only two days ago that I read this about the New Cross Massacre. And the New Cross Massacre took place in the 1980s where a group of teenagers were having a party and their house was satellite and 14 people burnt to death in New Cross. And this was most uh, historical record would be fair to say on either side um, was deliberate and was caused by the police. And the police officers got away uh, scot-free. And this actually generated the first ever British black protests where 60,000 black people came onto the streets uh, and, and looked into it. Now, all you need to know about that is that I had no idea about that until two weeks ago. So I've spent most of my professional life, especially in the last 10 years, surrounded by journalists, talking about corruption, talking about hypocrisy, talking about greed, talking about issues of civil liberties. And that was never brought to me once. Once. Mm. Never even mentioned. So is a profoundly important thing to understand. And if you look at the Comcast and CNN poll, which showed, surprise, surprise, white people in this country don't think there's a problem with racism in general, black people do, that there is an entire historical narrative of the police and of systems of power and how they're exerted on people that you may not even be aware of the facts of that at all, even if you read Private Eye almost predominant, almost exclusively white people work in that building. If you read the New Statesman, almost exclusively people work in that building. Or the Guardian, almost, I mean, listen, there are some black people who work there, obviously, but predominantly white. Yeah. So there is knowledge that, 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 that you need to find out about. So for instance, 4% of the British black, uh, sorry, 4% of the population in Britain is black, 50% of the UK prison population is black, right? Yeah. 
that's because of not just the you know privatization of prison systems and, and, and profit it's about disproportionate sentencing it's about is that, in the, is that in the uk this is all in the uk everything i'm saying is uk there has been 1744 deaths in police custody right not one police officer has served jail time as a result now only about 500 of those people are black but when you look at the percentage of the population who is black and the number that that represents that is an extraordinary amount of people given the amount of black people in the united kingdom mm. now you can take this much much further back because ultimately america is only 200 years old where do you think they gleaned the idea of utilizing slave labor in the first place yeah 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 and i watched the doc you must have you must have seen it i'm sure but uh, i've been telling people that documentary 13th was mind-blowing about how with the so-called abolition of slavery they maintained it in a new form through the the right. making people criminals and and then and then being allowed to um essentially treat them as slaves yeah also i mean you need to just look at our, you know the waves of immigration into the united kingdom you know opium was uh, outlawed in the united kingdom to criminalize uh, asian people marijuana was criminalized in the united kingdom to criminalize the windrush generation um you know this is a profound issue and you also have to remember that if you grew up in a commonwealth country like jamaica for instance you were constantly talked about you know what was constantly talked about was like mother britain the mother country the motherland the holy land where you would be welcomed in because the queen and the people of England were the kindest people in the world. And all these people who were invited to the United Kingdom then faced bigotry, racism, and xenophobia on a different level. Now, I want to talk a bit about these kids who I've met. And if yeah, you yeah. are on Instagram, um, particularly, follow at All Black Lives UK. Right. There are a lot of different groups in this this thing. There's LDN, B, B, BLN. There's, you know, Black Lives Matter UK. Um, there's an awful lot. But I would really recommend following them. I will follow these kids. I will be with them. Like I'm, I've tried to be there every Sunday. And I do think this is a really important thing to say. Social change only happens when there are enough boots on the ground. That is the difference between abolitionist mindset. who's like we need to just make so much noise that I have to do something. And I think a pragmatist mindset, which is like, we need to lobby for legislative change. We need to implement the recommendations. The truth is one often leads into another, in my opinion. You're not actually gonna have system change in this country until there's a government that takes takes power that, that causes system change. I, I have no hope that we're gonna have a revolution mm. anytime soon. But the thing that worries me the most about good meaning white guardian reading liberals is that they might go once take a couple of photos on Instagram, have a bit of a yell online and never go again. That's kind of back to the point I was making earlier about uh, um, wanting to digest it a bit more before I started to, you know, because I, I think it's very easy to tokenistically kind of go, yeah, yeah, I kind of, uh, I'm with that and then just totally forget about it. Look, listen, mate, I mean, just being honest, like I don't know if you live in London or not, but these things are often a long uh, way away from people. Right. They're not it's not like and, you know, you know, I have a small niece. I don't have children, man. But, you know, kids are 
kids are hectic. You know, grandparents need you, parents need you, people have things to do. I understand all of that. And, and doing something, I want to be super clear, is much better than doing nothing. But the truth is that signing a change.org petition or putting up a square on Instagram won't change anything. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not important to do those things because I think a lot of the time what people forget, especially if you have a fraternity of friends where maybe you only have a couple who are black, this shit matters, man. It's really important to show yeah. empathy, to show that you appreciate that they may be going through an awful lot of trauma. One of the things that I've learned is I'm trying not to put up any more violent videos because I think that's actually quite triggering to a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily help. Um, and also, I think we've all become so inured to that already, unfortunately, that it's not really cutting through. The experience of being black and British in the United Kingdom is a profoundly race-orientated experience. They can never get away from it. They are targeted by police disproportionately for stop and search. They are disproportionately sentenced in the, in the criminal justice system. As David Lammy said, only 1% of British judges are black. They do not have the representation in there. And you can help in many different ways. If you have a business, you can give someone who doesn't have the experience an opportunity. You know, you can do a lot that way. There isn't just one lane to this. If you can't get to a protest, maybe and the big thing that is a big thing for me at the minute is challenge people when they say things that you know, you know, are racist. And I, I'm with you 100%. So I, and I agree with very much with that last point you made about, I think it's not enough to just feel the empathy and think, isn't it really bad? I agree that it, it, we, it must change. We have to want it to change and make sure that we push through for the change. But I agree very much with having different lanes because I don't live in London, so I'm not going to be able to be there at the process every week, for example. And I'm glad that lots of people are. But I have had even members of my family or my neighbor chat to me about it. And it's very disguised racism uh, and very subtle. But... Um, but, you know, absolutely disagree. And I will be looking out for many opportunities over the coming months and years and whatever to, to do what I can, where I can to, 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 work, to change right? this. Say again? It's a life to work. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, as you say, but it's important that we don't drop it mentally and we, we, we keep the fire alive, if you like. Not just, I mean, right now is the moment of Black Lives yeah. Matter, but, but equally for all people who are well, going to be... It's, it's really important we address this because... The thing is, let's talk about your neighbor or, or your, your family member. Now, that neighbor may well have had a successful business that's just gone up. That that family member may actually be someone who has lived through indentured servitude themselves because in a lot of ways, the economic realities of being white, um, underprivileged, poor educational outcomes uh, is very similar to a lot of the experiences that a lot of people going through indentured racial servitude do, except you're never going to be profiled by the color of your skin. So yeah, it's not systemic, really. Nobody is systemic. And this is the point is that actually, if you look at the areas of the country, if you if you literally have a map, and you look at the areas of the country since 2010, that have suffered the greatest and most the most unprecedented government cuts in their budget. These are cuts that um, will affect library closures that will affect social care that will affect mental health provision the soft cuts that can be made within a council budget right what you'll also find is that the exact same areas are the strongholds of the edl the formerly the bmp the nationalists the football hooligans association essentially 
UKIP, the Brexit Party. This is where the two things come directly into correlation. Because in a lot of these areas, what you also had was an immigrant population. Now, what the refugee crisis tried to teach us all was that those who can migrate are often very wealthy in the countries they come from. Otherwise, and very educated they, as well, yeah. How would they possibly be able to afford to go and pay, you know, to pay human traffickers, to pay people to get across borders? And a lot of the time when they come into communities, they're, they're first generation immigrants, there is a huge pressure on them to achieve educationally. Yeah. And so it's hard work, right? But a lot of these kids who they may be in classes with may come from very difficult home lives. They may have, you know, uh, mental health issues. They may have, um, you know, very, very difficult economic circumstances. And a lot of the time, these kids from an immigrant background are doing better than them. Now, what does that feel like? Oh, it makes you feel you shit. Know? Yeah, it, it would make those right. kids feel inadequate, uh, etc. Yeah. So, 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 this is deeply. It's. I mean, as I said, it's all about the money. It's always follow the money. But the truth is, this particular instance sheds a very important light on things because if you don't understand this, if you don't understand this core conceptual idea that these people going through economic servitude have been let down by the government. So they feel emboldened to say, well, all lives matter. All lives matter. My, my, I haven't got a great life. Why does, this, why does this person's life get on? Like, why is it so much more important? Maybe they leave school at 16. They start reading newspapers where hyperbole and xenophobic, really well-tested lines from focus groups, from high data sets, that really fucking piss people off, all that really resonate, like take back control. Mm. And they they pummel them at their brains. They condition them. And this is the thing. We're all victims of a type of conditioning. And this is why I'm not doing comedy anymore, because it's difficult to, to do this stuff as comedy. It's a lot easier to talk to you about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to go back. You had that huge success with... Um... Revolution will be televised, you won a BAFTA, I guess a level of fame, et cetera. And you mentioned prior to that, you were kind of had a pattern of self-sabotaging. How did you deal with that explosion of fame, attention? Uh, did you manage to not continue to self-sabotage or what happened? Oh, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say to you, mm. because you you are you said this was a lot to do with turning points, mm. was picking up that BAFTA. And thinking, oh my God, this is the this is it. Looking out at these famous people there, and then sort of the next day realizing that nothing had changed, nothing had changed. Um, fame and um, the desire to be really recognized is absolutely paper thin, and that's why so many people in the public eye go so completely off the rails because. There is, there, there is no real happiness that comes through that. You know, your happiness comes through being okay with yourself, you know, uh, believing your words and your actions correlate, you know, your friendship groups, your family, fraternity, um, you know, love. And that was a huge life lesson for me because I think I genuinely thought it would bring me happiness. I think that it, I thought... There was definitely, you know, you don't do shows like even even the socially conscious shows unless you've got some kind of ego. You just you just don't know. It, the, the very thought of actually trying to be someone else and act is an act of getting away from yourself. 
mm. you know it takes yeah. certain type of personality types to do it so no i mean i i, I uh, there were times i found it you know very confronting um but also i feel that you know what we've tried to do is you know we moved from television to podcasting we did a show called news roast and i did a show called we need to talk about spotify been very lucky and now i've decided that the best way to talk to a mass of people is through drama um so you know it might take me a couple of years but that's uh, that's 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 where i'm at now that's where you're headed yeah interesting um tell me about self-care how how do you look after yourself um sometimes it's as easy as playing fifa you know sometimes it's just taking a bath sometimes it's 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 watching harry kane and tottenham massively disappoint me yet again um, <laughs> you need to take time for yourself you know you only have a finite amount of energy and you know a lot of these battles that we're talking about are, are very long term i do believe in exercise now a lot more than i did i believe you need a spiritual practice for me that is you know meditating yoga for a lot of people it's running like running i got really into during lockdown as well you know there are many different forms um of this but it's about taking time looking at oneself understanding why one is doing things and listen you know this isn't like some you know i'm on some messiah russell brand you know i'm the enlightened one tip the reason it's called mindfulness is because you have to do it every day and most days i don't do it you know but but i but i've now know in my darker times when stuff goes wrong and stuff starts not making sense when i don't get why something's happening something in me goes towards that practice you know, I try to take a month. I, I try to fuck off for a month every year, at the beginning of the year. Do you go to uh, India? My place, man. Yeah, go to uh, go to a place called. Um, uh, you know, I have been going for many years. A place called Agonda and a place called Patnam, um, and Goa. Um, and I, I was very lucky because I can because my I'm freelance. I've always been self-employed. I, I am my ideas. I can just as easily write on my laptop there as somewhere else um and in my industry very little often happens in january i mean to be honest now very little is happening at any time apart exactly but it's very important i'm a big believer in that idea that you only see something clearly when you're outside of it and to take things when you're outside you look back and you're like this is important this isn't I kind of wanted that, but not as much as I want this. I need to focus my time and energy on this. Clarity, yeah. Well, I just want to finish up. It's really interesting to hear what you said. It was one of the things I was going to ask you about. Did you become, not disillusioned, but like you you had huge attention and great impact, I would say, and woke a lot of people up to the, to the serious issues you were doing through comedy. But um, the way that you have now sort of felt like you're going to shift towards more direct activism and maybe drama, is that because you feel it will have greater impact? Did you feel in some way that you weren't able to have the impact you hoped through the comedy? The revolution we televised ran for three series. And the truth is also it's about material. So you can't do the same thing twice. If you're going to do a sketch about, you know, the really big stuff in episode one, you know, by the time you get to episode four of <laughs> series three, you might be looking at, don't get me wrong, the horse meat scandal is a big deal, uh, but it's a bit witch magazine, you know? So there's an issue there. Um, I think if there was, I mean, the, the, the truth is the issues are very different now to where they were then. Um, mm -hmm. If we, We're never going to totally close the door on that. But Hayden and I also, you know, uh, you know, we read quite a lot about Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and we, we, you know, most comedy pairs end up absolutely hating each other. You know, we got to the point where we had just different ways of doing things. We wanted to do, you know, our, do things our own way. Um, 
And for me, I'm realizing that, you know, I can show, I can do a lot more by just talking to people at the minute. And, you know, I'm more mature than I was in my in my early 30s. I've got a clearer sense of exactly who I am and what I want to say in a very unflinching way. Um, um, it's not like I'm not, not open to other people's opinions. It's just I know my mind. And also drama now and the reality of bingeable content oh, is powerful. A, Powerful. It's a very powerful thing, but it's also, it didn't exist when we made the revolution we televised. So now I, I, I really feel like there's an opportunity. Also, I really want to talk to America. You know, I'm very, very interested in this idea of, you know, is it ever right to do the wrong things for the right reasons? Um, because we're, we're, we're getting to a point of climate collapse. We're getting to a point of, you know, as, as everyone's seen, you know, horrendous realities around you know race and, and and police brutality and things like that and how do things change and that is that is something that i think sometimes you can explore as fiction in a, a much less um you know you don't want people to watch things and go oh it's from this leftist viewpoint i'm not going to watch anymore otherwise there's no point yeah yeah i agree there's there's been a lot of very powerful um what's her name female actress uh she's got her home production company she does a lot of really powerful drama about social issues but um I'm trying to think who it is. I'll, 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 no, it's um, uh, I'll 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 look it up and I'll I'll send it to you. But um, really, really powerful, total drama, but seriously hard hitting issues. Mm. A lot of female leads and stuff, but just genius drama and has a huge impact. Which is ultimately, if that's your your desire, is to get to people to to empathize and connect with an issue, then it's it is a hugely powerful medium. Different ways of doing that like my television show i've got a show on itv2 called don't hate the players which is a hip-hop entertainment show i'm very proud of that show that's the first show ever panel show yeah. ever to have an all black all female panel yeah you know, it, it, representation is very important things are just i think because i've sort of I, my first tv show we won a bafta i want to make uh you know i want to make mil i want to make films and i want to make um large-scale series and I, I, what, I, what I've also realized is when you start again in a different genre, you, you start from the bottom. So yes. you're slowly, you know, going going and, and doing that stuff. And, mm. and, you know, in the meantime, there's an awful lot of stuff to say. You know, the, the internet is, is reactive and it's real and it's, it's an ecosystem. And, and right now, you know, it's very important to me that we do call Boris Johnson a racist because he is one. You know, that we do talk about institutional racism in the United Kingdom because our institutions were formed on the back of servitude slavery right that how could they not be how how could they not be it's well, important I, to you know this is very important for people to understand how far back the story goes when is the beginning of the story you yes. know, what, what are we teaching people yes it's reese witherspoon big little lies is the uh, same yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Of course, that is extremely powerful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to finish up, um, these are some, I call them like some of the big pillars in life. I'd love you to just one or, one or two sentence answers just on where you're at with them now and maybe if there's been an evolution over time as well. First okay. one, family. Miss them. I miss my family. It's, it's you know, my mom is, uh, is, is, is high risk so i haven't seen it for a long time um and thinking about starting my own you know it's it's a it's i mean it, i mean you know i'm 40 i'm going to be 40 years old next year thinking about but having kids um uh, i had a definitely extended adolescence but it's you know 
family is also foundational it's about i've got a family of friends i have extremely fraternal ties you know you are your community you know you spend time with people you care about and i, I think it's very important to say you know if you have a toxic family move away from them mm. you know it's just that simple like, there's been members of my family i've had to move away from um it's important yeah great um health yeah i mean it's you know everything in moderation including moderation you know i mean i i i you know spend time you know my, my girlfriend's a pt so i mean I, I i don't really have much choice a lot of the time but you know i yeah. I, I think it's really important you know you the the endorphins that are generated by just the 15 minute run are will change your day completely but it's uh yeah it's important i get my steps in you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um money is the root of all evil so is it yeah absolutely i mean it's not even like the, the, you, you there are study after study you need enough money to survive right but if you talk to anyone who i mean i could tell you a fucking story now but um i have been privileged enough to have had some insane experiences where you know, I've been in helicopters and gone to private yachts of people who are so unhappy. It is astounding because, you know, most studies show that once you get past, you know, having enough money to kind of have a decent house, you know, more than that doesn't really sort of increase your happiness, you know. And in fact, you know, what are you, what are you not doing whilst you're doing that, you know? But, yeah, money is root of all evil but it's also a necessary thing within a system where if you don't have any mm. you are profoundly let down at the moment mm. because that is the reality of not having any social safety net which is what the vast majority of people in this country you know suffer from sure um love love is the answer you know, money is the root of all evil and love is the answer. I mean, it's, you know, these, these are profoundly centralized questions. This is ancient wisdom, you know, that has reverberated through the ages in different ways. And that's why, you know, there's nothing like a love song. Mm. Yeah, it touches us very deep, doesn't it? Um, friendship. It's, it's the glue, you know, it's, it hold, holds people together. It's, it holds and in a very real way with your mental health. You know, I'm very, very lucky to have some very, and I think, you know, lockdown really shows, you know, you know who's really important and who's actually there for you. And you know the people who actually are just good time friends. Mm, yes, interesting. Um, and lastly, just to finish up, um, creativity and expression in your life, uh, is it important and has it, um, how has that evolved for you if it has? For me, I don't think you have ideas. I think ideas have you. I think you, you know, there's a very famous Paul McCartney song about how when he woke up and he just had, he just, yesterday it just written itself. But also for me and for many people, creativity is a way of, of shielding oneself and, and, and processing the world so uh, the reason that i stay energized and i stay vivacious i stay you know centered is because when i hear that thing that's terrible set something off and i end up creating something and pushing it out again it's almost like an energetic 
sort of flow. You take it in and you push it out. And I think if you don't push it out, life will sit on you and it will press you down. And I believe that's at the heart of a lot of depressions. I believe it's at the heart of a lot of, you know, people's mental illness, just stymieing due to self-sabotage uh, of, of not using your creativity. So, so it's been a really important and powerful force for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It really has. Listen, I need to go and watch Harry Kane being creative. Yeah, so, no worries. Listen, man, I've, you. I've, uh, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you so much. Very nice talking to you as well. Thank you so much to Jolyon. That was such a great conversation. He's a really lovely guy, super talented. And I love his passion for creating work that, as he says, um, speaks and tries to advocate for the most vulnerable in society. And make sure you check out his work. He's on social media at Jolyon Rubs. Very excited to see what he comes up with next, particularly around scripted drama, which can be so, so powerful. Please make sure you subscribe. Next week, I've got Seema Gonzai, who's a filmmaker. She went off at about 20 years old and cycled around Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, and Thailand. In those days, there was no mobile phones or internet, and she didn't actually tell her parents. Luckily, she survived to tell the tale, and she'll be sharing some of that with us. Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. It's so encouraging to see your uh, reviews come through and to to get uh, the great ratings we've been having so far and it helps us to reach more people please do tell a friend as i I really want to build up this community of us who are sort of encouraging each other on our journey of evolution so uh, i'll see you in episode three and in the meantime have a great week